Let's pray this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, and we know that we need you every single hour, and we thank you that you've given yourself to us, that you've given the Spirit to dwell within us, to get continually give us strength when we are weary, and hope when we are discouraged. We thank you so much for that gift. Thank you so much for saving us, Lord. We are not deserving. Pray that you would move amongst your people this evening. Lord, please let me not speak error and let your word and your truth be what we think about the rest of this evening and the rest of this week. And I pray that we would apply these truths to our lives, Lord. Remove all distractions, Lord. I thank you for these people who have come and given time in their busy week to hear from your word. Please bless them for that. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 will be where we will be reading from tonight. Last week, I had the joy of sharing a little bit about uh, God's faithfulness in the midst of uh, Victorianized lives, and hopefully it was very applicable to you all as well. God is faithful in the midst of great difficulty, isn't he? He is. And so last week we talked about just an example of that, but this week I specifically want to hone in on the perspective that we are supposed to have in the midst of great difficulty. Because the perspective you have when trials come your way will dictate how you respond to those trials. And we so often as Christians forget, many times, the perspective we're supposed to have and who we are in Christ. And before we read the passage, we'll be reading the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. I just want to give you a brief uh, a summary of, what, of who 1 Peter is written to. Uh, the, this is written to both Jew and Gentile Christians that are suffering greatly for Christ. They are specifically undergoing great persecution for the name of Christ. And they, you can tell by the way Peter speaks to them, need some encouragement. They are weary and they are suffering greatly. And interestingly enough, we'll just read verse 1 real quick because I want to show you the unique term that Peter uses to describe these people. And he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens. He doesn't say those who reside as Christians uniquely. He says aliens. And this is a theme throughout the whole book of 1 Peter. He refers to them as this term alien. And of course, this is not the green aliens we think of in sci-fi movies. This is meant to be a term uh, 
showing that they are foreign to their location. The term alien is used to describe a temporary resident in a land that is not their home. So you can actually see how that's very applicable for Christians, right? Because he's speaking to them, and I believe he uses this term strategically because he's wanting to shape their perspective of their time on this earth. He wants them to view themselves as aliens because this earth and the pain that we encounter is not our home. Right? And if you are a Christian, you share that truth. And that's why he refers to them as aliens. And you see throughout the book, 1 Peter is him instructing them how to live as aliens in this world that's not their home. He talks about how to suffer well. He talks about how they are to live in relation to their governing authorities. He talks about how they are to treat elders, how elders are to treat people, how young men are to act, how husbands are supposed to treat their wives, how wives are supposed to treat their husbands, etc. And you find these, these constant instruction by Peter of how they're supposed to live as aliens in this world. But before he goes into all of the instruction, he starts with what I would describe as trying to establish the perspective they need to have in the midst of great difficulty. And that is what we're going to be talking about tonight in these first nine verses. For a book that's very practical and applicable, it's unique the way he starts. And that's why I want us to read. So let's read 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, But believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Before Peter is going to get into all of these instructions he has for them about how to live as aliens, he wants them to be reminded of a few things first. It's basically as if somebody would come to you and say, hey, we've got a lot of things to discuss, but first I need to get this off my chest. But first, I need you to understand this before we can even start talking about these things. It's almost that he, it's like that, what he's saying here. And he wants, them, him to, he wants them to understand two things, and it, that is what Jesus has done for them, but also what Jesus has prepared for them. Okay, this is strategic, I believe, because again, these believers he's speaking to are suffering greatly. 
but he wants to remind them of these things first. And if, if you think about it in life, having the proper perspective on things is very important, right? Having the proper perspective dictates the way you act. You know, think of an Olympic athlete, right? The way that they train day in and day out, the decisions they make on a daily basis, not only to exercise and work out their body, but the diet decisions they make every single mealtime, day to day, for what purpose? They want to obtain a medal. Many just want to compete in the Olympics, right? But the ultimate prize of an Olympic athlete is to receive the gold medal. And so day in and day out, they make decisions with that in mind. I'm not going to eat this unhealthy meal because I know this will negatively affect my body and give me less of a chance at that medal. I'm going to not sleep in this extra hour or two hours, and I'm going to go to the gym so that I can work out my body so that I have a better chance at winning that medal. You see, their perspective is long-term, not short-term. And so it dictates the way that they act and the decisions they make. You know, maybe you've ever, you know, this is at least my personal experience, maybe you have resolved to lose a few pounds and you go out to eat and the first test comes. You know, maybe you, you chose a good entree, maybe you chose a, ch a chicken or something like that, which is fairly good, and then the, you're presented with the choice of sides, right? This is what always gets me because normally if you have two sides, I'm picking both with garlic mashed potatoes. Both. And most of the time, the waiter looks at me like, are you sure about that? I said, I'm absolutely sure about that. But you see, if I'm trying to lose a few pounds, I'm faced with a decision. Okay, I could get my mashed potatoes or I could get green beans. Ugh. Or something else healthy that is far less appealing than mashed potatoes. My point is, the perspective that I have, whether I want immediate happiness I I'm going to choose mashed potatoes if I want immediate happiness. But if my desire is to lose a few pounds, be a little healthier, live a little longer, then I'm going to choose something else. I say all this to say that perspective is important, right? Clearly dictates the decisions that you make. And just as perspective is important for the Olympic athlete or for us on a day-to-day -day basis, it's important for people and Christians who are suffering. The perspective that you have in the midst of suffering will dictate how you respond. And this is what Peter wants to make sure that they understand first. He wants to make sure they understand what Jesus has done for them. Look with me as we read in verse, uh, verse 1 again. And we're going to highlight a few things about what Jesus has done for them, the Christians of the time. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. The first thing Peter wants to tell them and remind these Christians is that they are chosen by God. And I think so often when we're reading the introductions, we skip over some of these amazing truths. If you stop and think about that for a moment, Christians are chosen by God handpicked by the Lord of the universe. Ephesians 1 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, if you are a believer today, God has chose you to be his. And Peter's starting with this. He wants them to know that these believers are chosen by God. Not only that, but reading on in verse 2, 
They are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is not a foreknowledge that says, I'm going to look in the future and see who does good and who does bad, and then I'll make my decision. We know that can't be the case, right? Because Romans 3 says, first of all, nobody does good. And secondly, when you go to Romans 9, you find out that when God chose between Jacob and Esau, it was before they had done anything good or bad. So it can't be this foreknowledge of looking ahead and seeing who chooses God. No, this is a a foreknowing, a foreloving, a choosing of who is his. God's choosing has nothing to do with any merit that we have brought to the table or that they have brought to the table. And Peter wants to remind them this. They were chosen, oh, by the way, and it wasn't because of what you did, but they were loved by God nonetheless, continuing by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. They have been chosen by God, according to his foreknowledge, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the agent by which we are transformed. And notice what believers are transformed to, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. There is no greater obedience to God's commands than to repent and believe and put your faith in Christ. There is that aspect of obedience, but also if you are a Christian, there is a lifetime of continual obedience to God. You are not saved and then you don't want to live for God. You are saved to obey him and sprinkled with his blood, talking about the cleansing nature of the blood of Christ. You see, believers, Peter wants them to know, you were chosen. The Spirit did all of this for you, by the way. You have been made righteous, and now you are to obey God. Okay, we're tracking with, we're tracking with Peter. And we think we're done here. You just, we think his reminder is done. That's already great enough. He says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Okay, Peter, now we'll get started on the application. Let's look at verse 3. He says, nope, hang on. I got more stuff to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he did this, and it is who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter wants them to know that God has shown them great mercy. And I think that term is, is thrown around so often. We always talk about God being merciful that we forget the gravity of what that means, right? And of course, you know, simple definitions would tell you that mercy is really not receiving what you deserve to receive, right? And grace is receiving what you didn't deserve. Those are simple definitions, but we don't always feel the weight of mercy. And so I hope this helps you feel the weight. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he goes on and on and on. If you are a believer in this room, God has shown you great mercy. And the way we highlight that is remembering what we deserved. One sin is enough to condemn to hell for all eternity. One sin. Because God is perfect. He requires absolute perfection. If you have ever sinned, then you were worthy of that judgment. You were worthy of that. And this is what Peter's reminding them of. Hey, remember the God who has chose you has shown you great mercy. You didn't deserve this. But how did he show them great mercy? How did he do it? And that is in verse 3 again. He's shown them great mercy and has caused them to be born again. In Ephesians 2, we just heard that you were dead, lifeless, no opportunity, no way to choose God because you were dead. You had already sinned. There was no way you could be made right with God on your end. This is something that Jesus had to do. And he made you alive. This is what he's talking to these believers. This mercy is so great, he transformed you from being dead and raised you to life. But not only that, born again to what? He didn't just make you alive and yay, that's it. It is to a living hope. A living hope. Living, meaning contrasting, contrasted to something that is dead. It is alive. The hope that you have transcends all circumstances. The hope that you have is living. It will not die. It cannot fade away. It will not be taken from you. It is living. It is active. And it is certain and sure. This is a living hope that we have. And this is not like the, the, you know, we often say, I really hope that this happens, or I really hope in this, I really hope I get this today, or I really hope I see this person. That, That is an uncertain hope. This is certain. This hope is based in Jesus Christ, and it will not go away. It is certain for you. And this is what he's reminding them. They were born again. These believers that he's speaking to, God has shown great mercy. And they were born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says, I know nothing other than to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because there is no life apart from Jesus. And so he goes on, he goes on, and he's continuing to tell these these people this. But before we go on further, this is the second part of what what God wants, or what Peter wants to remind these believers, and it is not only what Jesus has done for them, right? It is not only what Jesus has done for them, but what Jesus has prepared for them. And you'll see how this relates to their circumstances here in a moment. But it's one thing to know what Jesus has done, it's another thing to know what he's set aside. And that's where we get into verse 4. To obtain an inheritance. By the way, the word inheritance implies family. That's what it implies. To to obtain an inheritance, which is 
imperishable, meaning it will not decay. It will not be destroyed. Nobody can thwart it. Nobody can destroy it. It is certain, and it will not die. Not only that, but it is undefiled, as you see in verse 4, meaning it is pure, untainted with sin. Maybe you've experienced this in life. Maybe, you, maybe you've watched a movie before, right? And you were told it's a good movie, and then there's a really poor part in the movie, maybe a very a nasty scene or something. You're like, man, you go away from it thinking, man, I just feel like that movie's tainted. You know, it was a good movie until that happened. Or maybe you have deep, maybe you've had a deep friend or a great friend, a close friend for many, many years, and then sin on their part or on your part caused you to completely lose that relationship or change it completely, right? Your relationship is now tainted with sin. And it ruins things. Sin destroys things. It destroys relationships. It destroys those who engage in it. And this is what he's saying. That will not be found in your inheritance. There will be no tainting in their inheritance. It will not fade away, verse 4 says. It will not fade away. You know, we just, Victoria and I just bought a home, and the more and more that we work on it, the more and more we realize, man, this thing's going to need to be replaced in one year, and this thing's going to need to be replaced in five years, and everything is designed to have this grand point of decay or death, right? Everything's on this grand, you know, process of decay. That is not the case for the inheritance of the believer. There will be no stain, no decay whatsoever. Not only that, but it is reserved in heaven for you. Now, Peter's talking to these Christians at the time. But remember, if you are a Christian, you are also being talked to here. This inheritance is set aside for you. It's reserved for you. God specifically designed this inheritance for you, believer. All of these things. This hope, Peter wants to remind them of this, because he hopes that this hope will cause them to want to pursue Christ all the more. This hope will bring them great joy in the midst of great trial or difficult circumstances. Remember, these believers are suffering greatly. Peter wants to start this way before he gets into application because he knows it doesn't matter what I tell them to do if they forget their hope in Christ they won't want to do it. If they forget who they are in Christ. You see, Peter is trying to get their eyes off of earthly things. We so often look at the horizontal, what's right in front of us, what's affecting us. He wants to get their eyes off of the horizontal and onto the vertical to shape their perspective. And he goes on in verse 5 not only were they reserved, the inheritance is reserved in heaven, but they are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. God is protecting and preserving his believers through faith. And then it says this, he transitions into perhaps some of the reason why he writes this. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been distressed by various trials. So he's saying, notice this. This is something that I think will resonate with you all. In this you greatly rejoice, though you are currently distressed, is what he later says. So he's saying you can have joy in the midst of distress. In this you greatly rejoice, though currently you're distressed. Joy is not just this emotion that we feel when we are happy sometimes. You can have joy even when you are hurting. And that is what he's talking about here. How are you able to have joy in the midst of great trial? And he goes on. If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Oh, by the way, do we want to know some of the reasons? Maybe, maybe a reason why you're going through what you're going through? Look at verse 7 if you do. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about the circumstances that we're going in, whether you are suffering because you love the Lord, maybe you are being persecuted in some way, or maybe you're just going through a difficult trial in your life. Maybe relationships are getting very hard. Maybe you've lost a family member. Maybe you're dealing with difficulty within the family, whether it be children or extended family. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're not content. And he's saying, perhaps, and, and he is saying actually guaranteed, the testing of your faith is a reason for trials. So that the testing of your faith. So perhaps you don't know the reason why that you're going through something very difficult. Perhaps it doesn't make sense and we can't get our minds around what you're going through. But one thing can be sure is that your faith is being tested. And if it is found to be true, it will result in great praise to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. So that the proof of your faith may be more precious than gold which perishes. But if you stand fast in trial, in difficulty, you will bring glory to Christ. So maybe you don't understand the purpose, but there is still a purpose to trust Christ in the midst of it. Continuing, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ... And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Isn't this so often the way that we feel about things? Though, believer, you don't see God, you believe in him. And you love him because he has proven time and time again to care for you. And if all of those things above are true, that you've been chosen by God, that you are loved by God, that you are foreknown by God, if he has made you alive, if he has given you mercy, then of course he cares for you. And you love him in return. Even though these believers that Peter was speaking to couldn't see Jesus, they loved him and believed him. And this is what enables them to have joy. 
in verse 9, you see the end result of their faith obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. It, could have been very, it would have been very easy for Peter to just jump right into, hey, I know, just hang on, believer, hang on, you're suffering. Let me just tell you some things to, to get you through it. But he starts with this for a reason. He wants them to remember that they are known and loved by the Creator. And it's so often that believers and us, that we forget this. Because when you're going through the midst of great difficulty, you often think only about the things right in front of you. Right? I cannot believe this is happening to me. I cannot believe it. This is, this is so difficult, I don't even know where to turn. I can't believe this is happening, and now this is happening too? All at one time? And it's so easy to get into this thinking of what is right in front of you. And he's trying to say, don't, believer, don't think primarily about the circumstances in front of you. Think about your relationship with Christ. He wants them to know that they are loved, but he also wants them to know that Jesus loves them so much that he has set aside a perfect inheritance for them. If they just finish well. Finish well. Continue. If, the, if these truths are embedded in their minds, then they will obey Jesus. But that is to them, in their context here, how does this possibly apply to us? And I want to ask you a question because, just to consider, you don't have to answer aloud, but Believer, are you hurting today in some way? Are you hurting? You know, last week when I shared to you about what we're going through with grace, and there are many people that are hurting in deeper ways and potentially many different ways. Are you hurting today? Because if so, then all of these things apply to you. And not only that, even if you're not necessarily hurting greatly, they still apply to you because this is talking about the perspective that you are supposed to have. Believer, when you read this and we talk about being chosen, you are the one who is chosen. You are the one who is foreknown. You are the one to whom mercy has been showed time and time again when you didn't deserve it. If you forget these things and the living hope that you have, you will be very prone to discouragement and hopelessness and joylessness. How many times have you looked back on your life and you say, wow, I really, I went through that trial and I didn't think much of God at all. Maybe you were very joyless in it and discouraged constantly. And in many ways, you wasted an opportunity. Because the opportunity is here for the proof of your faith. An earthly view of life's circumstances and trials will always lead to discouragement. If you think about what's in the here and now, if you think about what it means for you temporarily and forget 
who you are in Christ and the living hope you have, you will not find comfort. I want us to turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 12. Actually, before Hebrews 12, let's go to Philippians 3. This is Paul. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. It says this, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul here, and he's very much thinking like the Olympic athlete, right? He's thinking, no matter what happens, I'm going to press on through pain and suffering. Undoubtedly, Paul suffered greatly, right? He said, I'm going to push on because the prize is so great. Believer, do you not see that your prize is so great? Is there anything worth, worth more than running for that beautiful inheritance? There's nothing of more value than that. There's absolutely nothing. And Paul here is laser-focused on the goal. And this is what Peter is trying to get these Christians to think about. Are you focused on what's in front of you, or are you focused on what lies ahead? And what I mean by in front of you is directly in front of you like this. Right immediately in front of you, or are you focused on the end goal? This is what Peter wants the believers to know. How do you get through it? How did Paul get through all of the suffering? Because he was focusing on what lies ahead. Now we go to Hebrews 12, and perhaps the greatest example of this is found here. It says this, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This concept that we find in Jesus' example here, Jesus for the joy set before him endured great difficulty. Think about that. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and praying, please, Lord, if, if it be your will, please take this cup from me. 
Meaning, if there's another way, please find it. Because what I'm about to endure is beyond what we can understand as far as pain is concerned. Is there any other way? And God said no. And so, how did Jesus, how did Jesus handle that great difficulty? For the joy set before him, he willingly endured these things. Believer, are you suffering, whether it be a family relationship or, or anything we've talked about, maybe you're being persecuted for Christ, do you want to know what speaks volumes to the world more than anything else? It is your devotion to Christ even in the midst of great difficulty. I remember when I talked to, uh, when Victoria and I were going through some initial things with Grayson, and I was just, I was so used to talking to believers, maybe, that I was just talking to a coworker. I worked at Mattress Firm in Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, and um, I was just talking to him as if I was talking to a believer, and I said, you know what, man? I said, here's the truth of the matter. If I lost my son, if I lost my wife, if I lost everything I had on this earth, I am not a lost man. And I, and I kind of said, you know what I mean? And I said that, and I was like, ooh. And he looked it back at me and he said, no, I don't know what you mean. And I thought to myself, and we talked about Christ afterwards, right? But the lost world doesn't have the hope that we do. They can't. They don't. When things go wrong around them, the world comes crumbling down because it's all that they have. For the believer, though, if the world comes crumbling down around you, you have your foundation. Nothing will shake that foundation. Nothing will remove God's grip on your life. No one, no circumstance, no power of hell can take you from Christ. And nobody can keep you from your inheritance. That has been purchased by the blood of Christ. You have great hope. This is how we are supposed to endure these things. Peter wants these believers and he wants us to know Believer, if you're hurting, look towards Christ. Look towards your hope. This is how Paul endured great suffering. This is how Jesus endured for the joy set before him. He willingly endured these things. When we get our eyes off of the temporal, the things in front of us, you would be amazed at the strength and joy that God supplies even in the midst of great difficulty. And the proof of your faith is not only for your good, but it is for the lost world that looks around. Maybe you interact with somebody at work. Maybe you have family members that are lost. When something goes bad in your life, you better bet that they are looking at you with how you're going to respond. And in their mind, many times they're thinking, oh, he, he follows Christ now, but wait until something bad happens. He, fought, he says he's a follower of God now, but just wait until the things come crashing down around him. 
And when you show by your life that nothing, nothing, no earthly circumstance, no trial will take your eyes off of Jesus, that's when you get their attention. And they want to know, how can I have that hope? You see, it's not only for your own good to prove your faith, it is for the good of those around you. And when you remember these truths and the joy that is set before you, it is only when you remember those things that you can gladly, gladly sing the lyrics of this famous hymn or, or speak them. And it is this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, you know it, it is well, it is well with my soul. And then just in case that didn't encompass everything, it says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. And he says again, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is only when you have an eternal perspective that you can say, it is well in the midst of great difficulty. This is what Peter wanted to get across to these believers. This is what we need to remember today. Remember Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. It is only because of your grace that we are here today. At some point in our lives, you stopped us in our tracks. And you said... No more following sin. No more following the ways of this world. Follow me. Lord, you chose us. You love us. You have cleansed us. You have had great mercy on us. We have an inheritance that will not fade away. No man can take it. No demon can take it. No trial can stop it. You have purchased it through your son, Jesus. And I pray that every one of us, as we walk out of this building and into our daily lives, Lord, let us remember when difficult circumstances come to look to the hope that we have. Let us not waste the times when we suffer. Let us see them as testing of our faith and also as an opportunity to show the light of the gospel to the lost world around us. May we prove our faith, Lord. Please give us the strength in the midst of these difficulties that certainly is in this room. There are many going through great trials. Help them to know that you have not forgotten. You handpicked them. And you're designing whatever they're going through to be for their good and to test their faith and to prove it.
Lord. Please let us be encouraged. Let us think of your amazing sacrifice and thank you for it, Lord. Fix our eyes on the goal and the prize, Lord. Every day we pray all this in your name. Amen.